close your eyes and feel cool air prickle against your skin. What is seeping from the ground and into our mouths, our brains and our understanding? What covers our skin? What makes the air we breathe? What's turning the marsh inside out? When politics converge on the ground, the air becomes thick above. You are within the clouds, floating, weightless. You're mingling with liquid air, along with incinerated ash, sewage fumes, burnt fridges, burnt bottles, car exhausts, the spores of marsh moss, the evaporated pools below, the breath of the tree line, the seeds of the bulrush, the dust kicked up by arguing geese or by the construction machinery. The air is heavy with what lies below. You are breathing marsh. You are breathing marsh Within the clouds, you look down from above and see the Thames at low tide, with seals resting and exploring the shadows. The mud slicks around rocks whilst tiny shellfish and mussels wriggle in the riverbed below, sending bubbles to the surface as they search for food, which ripple across the mud, drawing herons, geese and waders towards their tidal meals. Waste-filled tugboats continue on amongst tankers and transport, in the deep channel of the operational river. A large tugboat pulls up to a jetty and you follow its line inwards to the shore. Beneath the aging structure, patches of reeds and rushes catch your eye. Some look flattened by the withdrawing tide, revealing litter and plastic tangled in their throngs. A gull swoops past you and dives down into the reeds, pecking at some rotting algae before taking to the skies with its loud calls. Walkers and runners move slowly atop a large concrete embankment, while some women donning high-vis vests start to descend into the foreshore. You examine the scene from above, passing through the fog of a cloud as you move over the hedgerow and then the ridgeway, until all you see below you is shifting reeds. The reed bed moves as one, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, a wriggling pool of pale greens, silver and ashy yellows, moving with the wind, twisting with the currents. Suddenly, hidden in these waves of green, small round pools glint up at you. Silver mirrors scattered across the shifting rush. You see yourself within the pool, emerging from the clouds, submerged in the water. The marshes teem with all sorts of life and not all of it is containable. 
leaking over everything, up into the sky, down into the rock. The marsh cannot be held. To leak is to intentionally disclose something secret. To leak is to accidentally lose or admit contents, especially liquid, through a hole or a crack. To leak is to drip, to drain, to make wet. This series explores the Erith and Crossness marshes in the South London borough of Bexley. Each episode will follow the water of this remaining London marshland as it leaks, erodes and filters through the mud to the cell walls of implants, the ocean currents, the brackish ponds and the fresh darrens, the species living within the clouds and steam above our heads and the water of our own bodies. We invite you throughout this series to take a walk across marsh bodies and other wetlands that you call home and consider what marsh bodies are to you, the city, the creatures that inhabit them or the atmospheres they create. Part three, leak. Marsh bodies are leaking. This podcast series has explored how marsh bodies filter their environments and how they have been drained and fragmented by contemporary development. In this final episode, we consider how the marsh may leak out of itself and into the city through the activities of Bexley's communities, into future conservation and through the species that leak from the marsh and allow it to spread. We will also consider the many leakages that come from a fragmented marsh, from industrial leaks to carbon leaks, and question what secrets may be leaked in the shadows of industrial drainage. A marsh has no clear edge, and it leaks into everything it touches. Invite the marsh to leak into you too. Slow down, settle in, breathe in. You're in marsh time now. Through development and buyouts, the marsh has become industrialised. Crossness Marsh hosts a variety of urban infrastructure, flanked by Corrie's waste-burning incinerators to the east and by Thames water sewage plants to the west. Infrastructures are leaky things. They leak pollution and effluents, as well as their associated policies and politics. Pollutants allow infrastructures of waste to leak much further than themselves to explode out of their bodies across atmospheres and rivers. Their microscopic, slippery nature also carries the politics of an infrastructure far into living cells, reaching into bodies and across territories. The industries on the marsh leak in all directions.
When you breathe air, you also breathe pollutants that may enter the air through all sorts of human activities, such as car exhausts, cleaning agents, or waste incinerators. These particulates do not just stay in the air. Through the act of breathing, they also leak into your lungs, your blood, and eventually your brain. Focus on the branches of the bronchi stretching and splitting out across your lungs like the roots of the reed bed below. As you breathe in, try to locate these tiny microscopic pollutants as they travel through you, reaching the tips of the roots of each branch of your lungs, where they are either too big to continue their journey or small enough to leak through flesh and into your blood. The smaller the pollutants, the longer the leaks. Incinerators leak pollutants that often cannot be contained. Harmful particulates such as mercury, persistent organic compounds, dioxins and PFAs all emerge from incinerator sites. These compounds are often smaller than the filters used within incinerators and so they pass right through them and into the air. In England we now burn more waste than we recycle. However, 60% of the waste going into our growing incinerator energy sites could be recycled instead. As waste incineration is celebrated as low-carbon fuel, and new incineration sites continue to be extended, quantities of burnt waste for energy increase year after year. When we burn wastes, we burn air quality and invite new dangerous leakages into fragile ecosystems and communities. This rising trend of waste incineration leaks environmental racism and environments of health inequality. As well as pollution particles, each marsh breath welcomes a microscopic living world into our lungs. Tiny bacterial and fungal life forms drift in the air that we breathe. Each year, fungi make 50 million tons of airborne spores, enough to coat every square millimeter of Earth's surface with a thousand spores. Sphagnum moss is a typical inhabitant of marsh space. Sphagnum and other moss use air currents to reproduce by releasing their spores into the winds. These spores are drawn upwards into air currents and join the millions of fungal and bacterial life forms that move through fog and clouds. As aerosols do, airborne microorganisms contribute to the pool of particles that encourage cloud formation. And so the slow release of airborne living matter, seeds, spores and insects from marsh bases, along with the slow evaporation from pools and streams, all contribute to the weather above. Moss spores can travel by wind for hundreds of kilometres. And so, when the marsh breathes, it breathes moss and leaks marsh spores and seeds over a whole territory. The marshes of Bexley support a range of voles, ducks, wildfowl and herons. 
However, some of the most active inhabitants may actually be its smallest. Some say that the most valuable inhabitants of wetlands are the sulfate-reducing bacteria that lurk throughout the muddy sediments below. These anaerobic bacteria can be found in the wet mudscapes of lakes, marshes and estuaries, working together in their muddy communes to regulate global biogeochemical cycles through their different metabolic exchanges. Sulfur bacteria using sulfate produce hydrogen sulfide, which may eventually influence cloud cover. Phosphorus bound to iron oxide in oxidized sediments is then released and re-enters the pool of inorganic phosphorus available to feed and fertilize the surrounding plants. Meanwhile, mud-lurking microbes use excess nitrogen to produce ammonia. All these chemicals are the base ingredients of life. Globally, bacterial marsh bodies actively digest and transform available nutrients and chemicals, regulating their global systems. The metabolic leakage of ammonia, hydrogen sulfide, oxygen or phosphorus keeps ecologies in motion. Marsh bodies leak life. Some mud bacteria forms naturally in the marsh, whilst other new industrial inhabitants form new communities across the foreshore. At the edge of Cross Ness, birds gather around the sewage outflow pipes that leak into the river. Thames water sewage plants leak smells, but they also leak food. The outflow water contains a large amount of bacteria that is used in the cleaning process of the sewage treatment plant, which draws birds in to a tasty snack. The bird watchers of Bexley, used to frequenting certain pools or reed beds, often are also now found watching the sewage outflows for the flocks that gather there. Marshes leak life-affirming chemicals, taking part of many global cycles. Peat marshes and bogs are also a massive store of global carbon, and many bog restoration projects are trying to restore acres of wetland to protect these vital carbon stores for greater climate resilience into the future. However, it is widely accepted that damaged marshlands actually contribute large amounts of carbon and other gases to our atmosphere, aiding and abetting a warming climate. After all, peatland degradation relating to wetland erosion accounts for almost 10% of annual human-caused CO2 emissions. What a marsh leaks or stores depends on how it is treated. To leak is to form cracks. To leak is to form cracks, marsh bodies. Marsh, marsh, marsh. Like many things, leaks can be good or bad. They can generate new beginnings or imply drainage and loss. Cracks are formed on their own terms. Whilst marsh bodies leak life elixirs, they also leak flood protection, climate resilience and biodiversity. Cracks form when urbanisation drains marsh bodies, causing the leakage of carbon, water and habitat. In a time of ecological fragmentation, we have to decide how we become connected once again. As you allow these wetted lands to leak into your imagination, perhaps the liquid qualities of the shifting marshland can allow us to think of ways to become connected to our own marsh bodies and those of the city. 
as the marsh flows out in many directions, flooding over spaces and mines. Marsh leaks connect material, people and places. To leak is to share tactics. To leak is to share tactics, marsh bodies. We met with Donna Zimmer, who is part of Friends of Crossness Marshes and Friends of Crayford Marshes, and an active campaigner for the protection of Bexley's marshes. We sat with her to discuss civic responsibilities towards fragmented wetlands and how to protect them into the future. Donna is part of setting up a document that outlines a vision for the marsh, a community-led plan for its future, as well as clearly evidencing the habitat and biodiversity that it provides. This is in response to years of fighting development and drainage attempts, and as a preemptive measure to prepare for the protection of the marsh bodies into the future. So the Crayford Marshes vision was something that we decided to do because Crayford Marshes is really vulnerable. It, you know, it has been vulnerable over the years from different planning applications. They wanted to build a rail freight interchange over it. And, you know, we recognised, you know, how vulnerable it was. And I thought, what if we actually had a document that actually showed all the different people that use the marshes, and then we use that information to kind of design this vision, you know, really show off how important it is, how well used it is. It's almost like a secret nature reserve that nobody knows about. And we all together using, picking all our different brains and ideas, we've really highlighted how important it is. You know, we could use that to do everything we can to say it, wildlife isn't a luxury. These places aren't a hobby just for certain people. Nature is the water we drink, the food we eat and the air we breathe. And we can't build over it, take it away, get rid of it, it's not important, without it affecting us. And it's really hard to try and get that across to people. You know, we all live here. It, it plays such an important role. Whether you want to walk around it or not, it, it affects everybody to have that green space. Leaks reveal openings, allowing messages to spread. Donna and her collaborators recognise that the marshes are a space that will always be under pressure for new development. Just like the early marsh reclamation as London grew in medieval times, marshes are still often seen by some as unproductive, or at least economically unproductive. The vision for the marshes is a community-led recognition of non-economic forms of productivity and connection. Now, if a company comes in and creates pressure to build on the marsh, the vision can direct pressure back, reclaiming and rechanneling the cracks within local land management to support community, protect habitats and provide healthy spaces. Pressure creates cracks, and well-placed cracks within a system can hopefully guide leaks to new horizons. 
Crossness is currently threatened by a bid to build a national infrastructure of significance. However, Donna and other Bexley residents know well how to fight these opaque structures and have successfully stopped one less than 10 years ago. To leak is to inform. To leak is to inform marsh bodies. The Ralph Rate Interchange planning application at Crayford Marshes was around about 2015, was an NSIP, a National Significant Infrastructure Project, which means the local councils and MPs don't really get much of a say. So it, it can feel like it's all taken out of your hand. I work with Chris Rose from Bexley Wildlife, um, who helped write a petition. And we, you know, I promoted that on Twitter and Facebook and we got lots of signatures. I sent it to councillors um, and I used to politely tweet the Secretary of State, you know, good morning and a picture of a corn bunting or a skylark, you know, very naughty because I knew he was ultimately going to make the decision. Um, and at the end, the planning inspector agreed it was inappropriate use of Greenbelt land. It wasn't exceptional circumstances. And the Secretary of State agreed with him. So that's why the Ralph Rate interchange was refused. I don't think you expect to win these things. You can feel like it's bigger than you, but it just shows you that it will if you don't try, um, well, then you're definitely not going to win. So what's the harm in making some noise anyway, really? I've, I've been sort of helping with the Crossness campaign. I thought it would be good to show how strongly we feel against what they want to do. We're not just in a you know carbon crisis, we're in a biodiversity crisis as well. And, you know, at what point do you stop building on the marshes and on Greenbelt and destroying habitat. I would say at the point when you're stealing land from a nature reserve, because, you know, they don't want to sell it. They don't want to give it away. Elite can form when tactics are learned and plans begin to form. Separated by concrete, roads and industries, these marshes leak into each other through other passages. Tumbling down rivers of community organisation, knowledge of marsh protection and preservation flows between the fragmented marshes of Bexley through its active community members. Once one group have learnt how to resist drainage, they can leak their knowledge to another, because no matter how fragmented Bexley's marshes are, they once all were one, and through sharing and leaking protective tactics across all their human and non-human communities, from marsh visions to duck botanical gardens, perhaps we could see these separated pockets as a whole, connected through community defiance and species drift. After all, it is the marsh bodies that connect these communities, and it is from the marsh bodies that Bexley was born. Waters are rising, covering your toes, your knees, your torso, your eyes. Slip your feet into the mud. Marsh bodies filter. Marsh bodies erode. Marsh bodies leak. 
large bodies are all of us. The marsh is within the belly of birds, the minds of the insects, the guts of our policies, the stomach of sewage works, the kidneys of all of you. Echoing across these times and bodies, the marsh is a vision of its own future as well. Within liquid air, flowing streams and liquid assets, we're all suspended. Allow yourself to drift, softly tangled in reed breads, slowing down, embraced. Your body and all the bodies within it tingle, dissolve and break apart into a million particles and every fragment softly settles to the bottom. Filtered down, drawn down, slowed down and settling down, you seep and you leak, becoming marsh as you descend. This podcast has been developed as part of Beneath the Pavement, the Marshes, a new creative programme bringing artists, activists and ecologists together with local environmental and community groups working in Bexley to explore the ground beneath our feet. This series was written by Anu Chan and myself, Rosa Whiteley, commissioned by Three Rivers and funded by Arts Council England. Sound design by Jacob Norris and Alice Weston. Thank you to our interviewee, Donna Zimmer, for her time and her ongoing efforts to protect the wet spaces of Bexley.